This episode of Hello PhD is sponsored by Promega and listeners like you. Thanks for your support. When I came into lab today, that really sucked out all of my energy. When you're doing a PhD, you are a one-man show, but when you're in a medical communications agency, you get to focus on what you're great at. Welcome to Hello PhD, a podcast for scientists and the people who love them. This week, we learn about careers in medical writing and what you can do now to prepare. Stay with us. And we're back. This is Hello PhD, episode 192. I'm Joshua Hall. I'm Daniel Arneman. And we'll discuss the human side of science and life in the lab. Welcome back, Dan. We have Dr. Emma Hinkle back on the show this week. I'm excited. You know, I, I feel like you teased us in the last episode, and I wanted to hear more about her medical writing career, and today is my day. Today is the day, Dan. We're going to learn all about uh, not just the career of medical writing, but I think some really useful tips for how grad students and postdocs can position themselves during their training to learn if a career like that might be for them, but also how to be competitive to transition into that type of job. Yeah, it sounds good, Josh. Now, we are kind of bereft this week. We don't have any ethanols. We ran out of podcast beers, uh, but I think both of us have been stocking things up that we're going to trade when we get together next month. So hopefully we'll be ready to, to restart the ethanol section. Definitely. And this is a good opportunity. If any of our listeners have a favorite ethanol that you think we should try on the show, assuming we can get it, <laughs> we would be happy to hear those suggestions. Uh, so let us know. All right, Josh. Well, I also want to remind people about the Promega QPCR grant. Uh, the deadline's coming up on May 5th. So if you're listening to this before May 5th, you still have time to get that in. Uh, everybody knows QPCR is a workhorse tool for most gene expression studies, but developing the right techniques for your system can be difficult. And that's why the Promega PCR grant program started in 2019 to provide scientists with the support they need to overcome challenges in the lab and succeed in their research goals. People who receive the grant will have get $15,000 towards the purchase of Promega reagents, supplies, and instruments. And they'll also get exclusive access to Promega Technical Mentor for experiment design, optimization, and troubleshooting. And remember, that's for any level of researcher from undergraduate all the way through a faculty person. So please go to promega.com slash global slash QPCR dash grant. All right, Dan, let's get on with our topic of the week. All right, Dan, as we talked about on our last show, we have Dr. Emma Hinkle, who is back with us again this week, and she shared some really great tips on what she learned as a graduate student from the vantage point of being a newly minted PhD. But I wanted her to stick around to actually talk about the really cool career that she has transitioned into, which is that of a medical writer. And I know that Emma spent a good deal of intentional time in grad school uh, thinking about her career and getting some experience outside the lab uh, to help her explore what she wanted to do after graduation. And I think that helped her transition into this job. So I sat down and talked to her about that. And I think this is going to be really useful for our listeners, whether you're interested in a career in communication or not. Well, Josh, you know, I'm anxious to hear more. So let's listen. All right, Emma, thank you so much for for talking to us on our last episode about your time as a graduate student, why you 
chose to pursue graduate school in the first place, um, some lessons that you learned reflecting back on graduate school as a, a relatively uh, newly minted PhD. But what I want to talk about now is you are currently in a science writing field. You are a medical writer. And I think our listeners would find it really helpful to just hear a little bit about not only the job you're doing now and what it's like to be a medical writer, but also I know you were really intentional about gaining experiences that helped you understand what you wanted to do postgraduate school, but also position yourself well to pursue those jobs. So let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, but first, just tell us a little bit about what are you doing now? Yeah, so as you mentioned, I am a medical writer, and I work at a medical communications agency. And there's a lot of medical communications agencies out there, but what they tend to do is work with pharmaceutical companies and communicate their research, whether that's phase one, two, or three trials or other research that's being done in their labs. And this can look like a lot of different modes of communication. It can be manuscripts and abstracts and posters, things that you've done in grad school, or it can even be plain language summaries, which are marketed more towards doctors. It can be communication uh, that's more patient-centric and even things like podcasts and other other mechanisms of communication that get out to more people. So it's a lot of different communication levels towards different audiences and many different ways that you can do that communication. Uh, I specifically work with a neurology team. So we do a lot of work around pain management and, but medical communications agencies often have a lot of different uh, therapeutic areas like oncology or neurology or infectious disease. So there's a lot of different uh, ways that you can get into medical writing and looking at specific disease areas. Very cool. So to what degree did you have to be an expert on those topics going in? So as someone who's interested in medical writing or science communication in general, do you need to be a specific topical expert in that field? Or is that something you can generally learn as you go to then um, leverage to do your writing? Yeah, surprisingly, you don't have to be an expert. So I actually was hired as a medical writer on the oncology team. And I've only done some oncology work in one of my rotations, but I was always interested in oncology. And then I recently transitioned to working with the neurology team. And before working with the neurology team, I knew nothing about neurology. I thought it just had to do with brain stuff, which it sort of does, but that's more neuroscience. So <laughs> I even had to learn a lot. But with communicate, being a medical writer, one thing that we're prized for is our ability to take a lot of information in pretty quickly and then understand how to write about it. So that's one skill that medical writers need to have is being able to say, okay, there's this therapeutic area. I'm not accustomed to it. How do I get up to date on what's going on and what some of the gaps are to then be able to write something that is actually meaningful. What's your typical day like as a medical writer? That's one of the most fun things about being a medical writer is it changes every day. And I remember when I had talked to medical writers, I was like, how does your job change every day? But I'd say on a more typical day, I might be working on one or two pieces of content development, whether that's like an abstract or a poster or a manuscript. And I may also be getting comments back from clients on previous content development and also comments back from other teams. So with a medical communications agency, we work on a team basis. So I'm a medical writer, but we also have teams of editors and teams of art and graphics people and teams of account services. So it's really great that I get to just focus on writing 
and I don't have to develop the poster, like the the look of the poster. <laughs> I don't have to edit my work. I mean, I have to still make sure it's accurate. But and when you're doing a PhD, you are a one man show. But when you're in a medical communications agency, you get to focus on what you're great at, which I really appreciate. So there's a lot of, yeah, every day is different, but I'll normally have maybe seven or eight pieces I'm juggling at a time, but those are all in different pieces of development. So a manuscript could be out for review to a client for a few weeks, and then I don't see it for those two or three weeks, and then I get it back and have to incorporate content. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Um, you know, one thing that Dan and I advocate for all the time on the show is for graduate students early on to think about their career interests, think about their, their values, their, their strengths, what they, uh, what type of career they think they might be interested in after graduate school. But that can be really difficult and an abstract process if all you really know is, well, you know, I worked in this lab at a university, maybe a couple labs. I hear the names of these careers, but how do I know if that would be a good fit for me? So what would you say or what would be a way if you're a grad student out there listening and, he- and hearing what you're saying about medical writing? Are there any clues that that you that medical writing may be a good career for you? Yeah, I love that you said that about uh, keeping like a career assessment sort of thing. Because I remember listening to Hello PhD probably my first year in one of your podcasts. You'd mentioned keeping a list of things you loved doing and a list of things you hated doing, and I kind of had that running in the background of my mind throughout grad school. Did you say I love writing? I hate grad school. Was that yeah? Bas- that, basically, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> anything doing with a pipette, I was like, I could pass on this. But yeah, I think kind of doing what you mentioned of having a list of things you like to do. And if you're looking at that list and you see that you like writing, that you like creating a poster or writing abstracts or even mentoring grad students and having to explain mentoring grad students or undergrads and having to explain the science you're doing in a way that they can understand. Or if you enjoy talking to your family about science and they they can actually understand what you're talking about, I'd say those are all big clues that a career in science communication, whether that's medical writing or journalism, that could be a really good fit for you because a lot of what I do on a day-to-day is just taking these complex scientific topics and trying to uh, break it down into pieces that people can understand, but I have to understand my audience as well. So those pieces I'd break down to would be different if I'm communicating to a healthcare provider or if I'm communicating to a patient, like I'd have to pull out different pieces of information. Yeah, that's a really important skill for, I think, graduate students or even faculty uh, who aren't always adept at understanding who their audience is and modifying how they communicate their science, depending on who is in the audience. Um, that doesn't always happen. Sometimes it's, well, this is my slide. These are my slides. This is doesn't matter who's in the audience. Oh, yeah. The amount of conferences I went to in grad school and the PIs who gave talks of like 40 years of their research in 10 minutes using Comic Sans font. Like I saw so <laughs> many talks like that. And it was really the grad students who had the best talks because they're a lot of them are thinking about ways to communicate their science effectively because I didn't get anything from those PIs talks like, wow, cool, you had 40 years of research. But if I'm not taking anything away and if you're not capturing my attention, your talk was meaningless. Yeah, I always thought that was such a waste of human capital and human time if I would be in a lecture hall of like 50 to 100 people listening to a talk and you could look around and see that 90% of their eyes were glazed over. I'm like, what are we all doing here? You know, like no communication is happening here. No information is being passed uh, from the presenter to the audience. We should all just be doing something else right now. 
which is really unfortunate. Yep, exactly. Well, I know that you were very intentional during your time in graduate school, or at least from my perspective, you seem to be, about how to position yourself for the career transition that you ultimately had. Um, Could you talk a little bit about what did you do during grad school? First of all, that made you aware that a position like this was a good fit for you and your career, um, but then also made you competitive for this job when the time came to apply. So it's funny because when I came into grad school, I didn't know that this sort of career existed. And my undergrad was actually in genetics and English. So I've always loved writing and reading and science, but I never realized I could combine those into a career. So my first year at UNC, UNC has a fair for some of the clubs at UNC so you can see what's going on. And there was a club called the Science Writing and Communication Club. And I thought, this sounds really interesting. Like, I want to join this club. Like, this sounds right up my alley. So I joined the Science Writing Communication Club at UNC called SWAC. And through that, I started writing some articles, just taking complex science topics and kind of making it more manageable for people to read. We, SWAC had a blog called the Pipette Pen, which is still running. And if you're at UNC and want to write for it, you totally should. But this blog was just a way for grad students to get experience both writing and editing articles just about general science. So through SWAC, I realized this is really great and I could see a career doing something related to science communication. I didn't necessarily know if I wanted to do science journalism, which more was more of what SWAC did. Uh, but I, one of the grad students that I met in my first year in grad school was really interested in communicating science to other people as well. And so we actually started a YouTube channel called the Steministas. And our goal with that channel was to communicate science in the news and the ethical implications of those new science findings. So we YouTubed for about a year and really enjoyed taking complex topics like what are CRISPR babies or what what should we know about vitamins or GMOs? So we take kind of these controversial science topics and try and break them down in a way that people could understand, but also so they could make their own decisions regarding what they thought about those topics. We just wanted to provide information. And eventually we transformed the YouTube channel into a podcast called the Steministas Pod and kind of did the same sort of thing, but just in a podcast format. And something that SWAC had recommended to me, because SWAC, besides having the writing and editing element, they also had a seminar series. And I remember some of the seminar speakers who had successful careers in science communication, they just recommended us to start communicating science in whatever way that was possible. And yeah, when I go and look back at our old YouTube videos, they're definitely cringeworthy because we weren't great at editing. It wasn't very polished, but it still was a place to start from. And I remember when someone told me, oh, you just have to start somewhere. I'm like, well, if it's bad quality, like, why would I want to start anywhere? But looking back, I can see where I have grown as a science communicator from having those times where I wasn't a great science communicator. And kind of the pandemic happened at an interesting time because I was in my, I guess, my third to fourth year of grad school. So I was towards the end of grad school, and I tried to utilize that time with pandemic to kind of position myself better with science communication since I at that point I was thinking I wanted to do it as a career. And I knew that my last year of grad school would be very stressful just with defending and trying to find a job. So I tried to do a lot in those two years to position myself. And COVID worked out well because I was able to do a lot of education on RNA vaccines. And I did that on Twitter first and then on Instagram and some on Facebook as well. And that led to a lot of traction and just conversations with people which showed me a lot of how to answer people's questions in a kind and empathetic way. 
Uh, and I think that's really helped even just now in my normal science communication to friends and family of trying to meet people where they are and understand why they might be mistrusting of some area of science and try and understand where they're coming from and also provide some information as well. Uh, alongside in 2020, I also went to the ComSciCon National Workshop, and this is an amazing science communication workshop. There's one in the Triangle area, so where UNC is, and there's ones all over the U.S. But ComSciCon National was just a great time to meet other people interested in science communication, and I think they had a career panel panel as well of just what you could do with science communication. A lot of people go into science journalism and do like the Triple AS Fellowship. Uh, other people would do science writing like what I'm doing. And some people would even go into like production for videos and whatnot. Uh, kind of the, there was someone who used to be part of SWAC who I had talked to for an informational interview and they had a career in science writing actually at the company I'm at now. So I started trying to just do some informational interviews and talk to people what science writing was like, what would a career in medical communications be. And I actually had a connection at a company and was able to get an internship kind of April of 2022. And I did this internship on top of uh, working in the lab, which wouldn't highly recommend, but it definitely gave me experience and showed me like, oh, this is a career I could actually be a part of. And that was kind of the seal on the coffin for me of I want to do medical communications and be a science writer for my career. So you you did an internship at the, the company that you ultimately were hired. Yes, I did. Yeah. So I did a kind of a four month internship. It was part time. And since it was during COVID, I was able to do it at home as well, because at that point, kind of everyone was working from home. So it gave a lot of flexibility to the internship. And I would say for people who are interested in science communication, medical communication as a career, having an internship can really position you well, because it shows uh, potential interviewers that you know what the field is like, because science writing that I do is very different from what I do in grad school, and it has a whole different set of considerations. And people definitely appreciated the writing I did while I was in grad school for grad school purposes, but they were more interested in what I had done in industry. Oh, interesting. Yeah. That was one of the questions I had for you was it sounds like you did a lot of, of different things in the, the realm of science communication, um, not just writing, but with your YouTube channel, your podcast, um, in addition to, to the writing stuff that you did, I was going to ask if you felt like those activities and those experiences helped make you a more competitive candidate for your job. It seems like maybe yes, maybe no. I think they did. I think especially when I had experience communicating science to different audiences and using different mediums, that's a lot of what I do in my job now, using whether that's a PowerPoint or a plain language summary, which is more graphical, or just writing. So I think that showed my interviewing committee that Emma has experience in multiple ways of communication. And I mean, having the academic communication was good too, but at the end of the day, I think showing that I had a breadth of communication skills was really the key. Emma, shifting gears just a little bit, one thing you mentioned in your tweet was forming something you called a career committee. Can you talk a little bit about that? What did you mean by that? Yeah, this was a kind of a new concept for me as well. But I was met with one of my committee members before I was leaving grad school because he was one that I had a good relationship with. And I kind of just wanted to talk to him about next steps. And he told me that for the past probably 15, 20 years, he's had a career committee. So a group of people, whether that's from his undergrad, grad school, postdoc, even outside of academia, 
And he gives these people an update probably every six months to a year just about where his career is going, things on the horizon, and even a little bit of a personal update too. And I really liked that idea because I think on one hand, it's easy to, when you're done with one stage, just move on from it and not update people about where you're at, especially when people have poured so much time and invested so much energy in you. So I, I have kind of established this career committee. I haven't I've asked some people directly and others I've just assumed they would be on this committee, but I'm planning to probably around April, yeah, I guess it is April, probably around May, send out kind of a six-month update of where I'm at, how I'm enjoying my job, things on the horizon, things I'm thinking about in my career. And on this career committee, I have people from my undergrad labs. I have people from grad school. I have some other people that were on my committee but are now in industry and even some postdocs that I had met during my time in grad school. And so it's kind of a wider range of people. And I think as I grow in my career, I'll continue to add people to that as well. And I think the goal of that is just to A, uh, thank people and update people who have been part of my career thus far. And so they can see where their investment is going and continue to invest. And then if there are times where I'm trying to either transition a career or I have questions about those next steps, they can be a really great resource for me as I'm asking those questions. And I think Susanna Harris, who you had on your podcast as well, had mentioned this because I think I remember talking to her and she had said that this was really beneficial for her also. So there's been a few people I've known who have utilized this and really found a lot of benefit from it. Emma, let's say that we have a grad student who is out there listening to the show. They're listening to your interview where you're talking about your career and they're thinking, all right, that sounds really amazing. Or I'm a grad student who is interested in writing. I'm interested in communication. But what do I do? How do I, how do I make myself com- as competitive as I can for those types of careers? What advice would you give someone like that who's in grad school, interested in science writing or communication? Or, or what other advice might you have for grad students out there who might want a career like yours after they're done with grad school? I'd say the first thing is to see if their grad school has opportunities for science writing. Some grad schools have science writing clubs like UNC does. Others don't, but there's a lot of other online sources as well that you can write for. Like I know off the top of my head, there's Oncobytes, which writes small little research topics on oncology. There's Nutribytes and there's a few others. And I'll send you a link. I have a tweet where I kind of have like a whole list of ways you can get into science communication and specifically medical communications. But I would say just start writing. Uh, That's a great way to see if you enjoy communicating science. Uh, Maybe try just a podcast for yourself for fun. Uh, Another thing is just if you know some people who are in medical writing or medical communications, reach out to them for an informational interview. And I am happy to answer any questions people have. If you reach me on Twitter or Instagram, I'm genetic ginger. And because I think for me, being able to ask questions of someone and see what they like about medical writing and how it's different from grad school, how it's different from grad how it is different from grad school too helped me see, okay, this is something that's pretty different from grad school, which is what I was wanting and seems to fit well with my goals and my skill sets. Well, Emma, it has been fantastic having you on the show. Really appreciate you uh, pulling double duty, talking about your experience in grad school on our last episode, and now sharing all of this really excellent information about uh, your pursuit of a career in writing and communication after grad school and now uh, this great 
uh, career as a medical writer. We really appreciate you being on the show and sharing all this info with our listeners. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's kind of like a it's a cathartic thing to be on the Hello PhD podcast since I've listened to it for my whole grad school experience, and it was such a resource for me during my f- five years in grad school. So it's really cool to be on here and talking to you today. Well, we will take a very small percentage of the credit for all of your successes to date. How about that? Oh, yes, definitely. <laughs> and also, Emma, I don't know if you realize this, but I think you and your advisor represent a first for Hello PhD. Uh, this is the first student-advisor combo who have both been on the podcast. Back in 2019, uh, way back on episode 122, we had your advisor, uh, Dr. Jadishe, on the show, and she was fantastic. She's had such an interesting, has such an interesting story, an interesting career, and that was a fantastic episode. So what a thrill to have her, and now you, her student, former student, on the show as well. Oh, yeah. She has like one of the coolest stories of how she came to her science career. It's incredible. Well, Emma, once again, thank you so much. All right, Dan, that was my conversation with Emma. Did you learn anything new today? I absolutely love this, Josh, because not only I think Emma is a superstar in terms of uh, the time and attention she paid to her career. But the other thing I love about hearing her story is that she's so close to it in terms of uh, recently graduating and making that career transition that all of the details are still fresh in her mind. So 30 years after you change careers or get into a job, you may say, oh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was important that I wrote this letter or that this person helped me, but you don't remember. And what she did, you know, because she's still so close to that transition, she can say, here are the types of articles that I wrote and the people who helped me along the way and the I'm still forming a career committee. I don't know what that is. You know, I'm kind of working on it, but here's where I am. And I think that's just really helpful to other students who are making that transition. And I love that it was new enough to her that she remembered the sage advice from a podcast that she listened to during grad school, uh, Hello PhD, playing a very small role (laughs) in her career exploration. That warmed my heart. It is, it is, but it's like that butterfly that flaps its wings, Josh. It can lead to other things. So, you know, she referenced writing down times that she had experiences in lab that she liked, things that she didn't like. And I wanted to go a little bit further than what she said. You know, we've talked about this before, but I really, the way that I like to do this for myself is to not just write down, oh, I like writing, because I think that is labeling yourself and it says, it makes you think that you actually have the conclusion already figured out. I think it's easier, probably, and better to say, I really enjoyed producing this article, a specific article for the uh, SWAC program. So you can then think through the steps. How did I get involved in this? What were the steps that I took? How did I feel when I was finished? And what was important to me about finishing that? And what you may find out is you don't actually like writing, but you like the attention that you got when you published the article, or you liked editing somebody else's article. So um, I think the danger is if you say, I like science, which is something that I used to say, <laughs> you, you kind of lose sight of the detailed type of work that you really like to do. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Write about the experience, not so much the label of what you think you are. Yeah, that's definitely true, Dan. And I know That was important to me back when I was doing that exercise as a postdoc is getting really granular with, you're right, not just saying, when I came into lab today, that really sucked out all of my energy. (laughs) Right. uh, Really thinking about, 
you know, what, what specific things did I do that made the time just fly by and gave me energy versus what specific other things maybe I did that either I dreaded doing or sucked all of my energy and motivation away. And I think getting down to that granular level of the types of things you like to do can help you, one, learn more about yourself, but two, can help you be more intentional about careers that maybe allow you to do more of those types of specific things. And it sounds like um, Emma discovered some of that about herself and then found a career that aligned with those interests and values. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that I learned from Emma today is there's really a, a broad swath of writing that you can do centered around science. I hadn't really put together the differences between something like science journalism, the other forms of science writing, um, marketing, all of these other ways that you can write about science. And you might like one of them and not the other. And I think that's really interesting. That is interesting. And the other piece of that, Dan, that might be related is I think Emma's experience with her career as as a medical writer, this goes back to something we've talked about a lot on the show a trap that that grad students can fall into, especially when they're entering the job market uh, and postdocs too, is feeling like if they don't have the exact specific content knowledge that a job requires, right. that they're not a good fit or marketable for that type of job. Like Emma mentioned, she's a medical writer who's focused on neurology, and she had very little <laughs> experience in in neurology, exactly. and that's okay. That's not really the expectation with a lot of these jobs, because um, I think in grad school, you know, you get so focused on the specifics of your project that you, if you're not careful, can get really pulled into this world of, well, what techniques do I know? What specific, like, that's what I have learned. That's what my, that's what I have to offer. But it's really not, right? Many of these careers have no expectation that you know the specific content. It's that you have the ability to take in new information and express that in, in some way. And I'm, I'm so glad that you asked her that question because there are probably lots of listeners who might be interested in science writing, but they say, well, all I know about is this one protein. You know, this is where I've gone deep and they will not apply for one of these jobs because they think that they're looking for somebody in a different field of science. And, and what I think I heard Emma and you say is, don't worry about it. What you, what you have learned in grad school is how to process scientific information. And if you're good at science writing, you learned how to translate that to an audience. And so I bet you Emma could write about geology and help us all understand some complex topic. It doesn't matter that it's not biology. Totally. And I think functionally, that's important because otherwise I could imagine if I was a a new graduate on the job search, if I didn't have that open mindset, I might limit the types of jobs that I applied for, right? Like I was a bacteriologist and I, if I said, oh, okay, well, I'm a bacterial researcher who is interested in science writing and I only told myself I could apply for jobs only if they involved writing and bacteriology. Exactly. That wouldn't be very many jobs, right? But the truth is, I'm competitive for a lot more positions than just that specific topic. That's that's exactly right. I love it. Um, now, what did you think of the idea of a career committee, Josh? Do you have a career committee? I don't, uh, but I love I love the idea, and I think Dan, this this sort of has the the flavor of something we have talked about on the show, and that's the importance of having multiple mentors. And especially if you are someone who is pretty sure that the type of career you want is outside of academia, then you're going to really need to have a network of people or at least 
or at least a few connections who are familiar with that world you want to move towards. I think that's going to make your your path a little more smooth and and give you the information you need to pursue that because your PI, your advisor, they're not going to have that information. So I love this idea that that she stated that she learned about of having a group of people who help give you advice or information or feedback on your career trajectory. Yeah, I had an experience at work just a couple of weeks ago where one of the senior developers on the team said, let's go for a walk. And he kind of offered some career mentorship to me. He kind of asked me, where do you see yourself in some number of years? And where do you see yourself within the company? And I think what it allowed me to do was to think about you know, I didn't reach out. I, I wasn't proactive about trying to develop within the company. But having him ask me some of those questions and us having that conversation was really helpful. So um, it does inspire me to be a bit more proactive and to think about what are my next steps. I just feel so lucky to be doing what I'm doing after all the all the hardships I faced in grad school and thinking I would never find a job I liked that I'm, I'm sort of just skating. But, uh, you know, always growing, just not thinking so much about what's my next step career-wise. Well, and with any job, Dan, whether it's uh, being a grad student or the type of work that you or I are doing, it's very easy to get caught up in the day-to-day work and to to lose sight of the, the bigger picture of your career. And I think that's what a great mentor can provide is hopefully uh, it's someone or someones who maybe have more experience than you and they have more perspective than you. And they might be able to to look at what you're doing and talk to you about your interests and say, hey, you know what? Here's what you're doing now, but here's some things you could be doing to position you for um, this other thing down the road, if it's something you're interested in doing. But you may not have that perspective to even know that's a thing you could be doing or should be doing. Yeah. And the, the one of the last things that I, I really appealed to me, Josh, was for science writers, people who are interested in that field, you have such a benefit that you can get started at any time in your career. There is no barrier to you starting to write or starting to communicate, starting to make presentations, starting a YouTube channel. If you were, if you said, oh, I want to be a particle physicist, like, well, there's only a few places in the world where you can possibly do that. But as a science writer, the advice I heard was just get started. If there is a club on your campus, join it. If there isn't a club on your campus, start one. And I think that's, you should be so proactive Uh, to get that experience right away. Yeah, I totally agree, Dan. And that experience might just be the very thing or things on your resume that make you competitive for that communications job that you really want after graduation. Uh, I think Emma mentioned this a little bit. The currency of academia is often papers and presentations and grants, which are great. But If you're applying for jobs like being a medical writer or other things that are writing or communication focused, what might set you apart from other applicants might be that time you spent writing for that blog or working on that YouTube channel or doing that podcast or or getting involved in some editing work. Um, Those things that might seem extra during the course of your PhD might be the very things that make you competitive for the job you want after the PhD. Yeah, you're building a portfolio. And I, I really do believe that time is an element here. So if I come out of graduate school and I'm applying for science writing jobs and I write five pieces and I put them on my blog that summer, that's not going to look as good as if I were writing regularly over the last three or four years, right? So I think getting started as soon as you can, starting to put out material shows 
hey, not only have I practiced this, but I've practiced it over a long period of time and I'm not getting tired of it. I actually really like this. And trying to cram it in just at the end, I don't think is going to help you as much. Yeah, and I can say from the other side, Dan, I mean, I'm not in a in a writing or communications field, um, but I am in a position now where I often will review applications for jobs. And many times the people who are applying for these jobs are, are PhDs at various stages of their, their career. And especially the newer folks, the ones who are uh, more recently out of their PhD, you're totally right, Dan. The candidates that tend to rise to the top are the ones you can look at and say, hey, you know what? This is a person who has clearly shown interest in this type of thing uh, from early on. And here's evidence of things they've done throughout their PhD uh, or maybe right after graduation that really show that they're interested in this type of work that we are hiring for. So I couldn't agree more with that, yeah. which is also not to say, you know, don't be discouraged <laughs> if you're uh, towards the end of your PhD or like, oh, no, well, I haven't really carved out time to get those experiences. It's the old saying, Dan, the best time to plant a tree 30 years ago and the second best time is today. So go out and get those experiences um, as soon as you can. Well, Dan, this has been a, a great discussion and I think just underscores one of the things we talk about all the time on the show with regard to careers is part of your job as a grad student is to think about what your next steps are and think about yourself and what career is a good fit for you and take time to explore careers uh, while you're doing your training. If there are other careers you'd like to learn about or other topics you'd like for us to talk about on the show, we'd love to hear it. You can email us, podcast at hellophd.com. Send us a tweet at hellophd. If you like the show, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We love the feedback and helps new listeners find the show. If you'd like to support us, you can become a patron. Simply go to our website, hellophd.com, click the Become a Patron button, or visit patreon.com slash hellophd. We'd appreciate the beer money. And thanks for the ongoing support from all of our patrons. All right, Josh, we'll see you next time. All right, see you next time.